0: All right, let's pray together. Lord, thank you. Thank you for you. Thank you for our time together so far. It is truly a joy uh, to gather and to reconnect uh, each Lord's Day. And and now as we open your Word, Lord, as Bill said, uh, you tell us uh, not just to be hearers, but to be doers. Lord, and in the doing, we will be blessed. In the doing, we'll be, we will be transformed, which is the ultimate goal. So, So, Lord, we love you. We love your Word. And now through your spirit, the spirit of truth, uh, help us not just to understand it, but then to bring the application. And then through the spirit, uh, to walk in faith and obedience to it. So Lord, uh, we love you. Help us to, again, take another step forward in understanding what it is to biblically uh, one another, one another, and specifically uh, how to forgive one another as you have forgiven us. So we give the rest of our time to you now. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. If you are visiting with us, welcome. We are uh, spending this summer kind of kicking off our second year together here at the well, uh, looking at what it means to one another, one another. Right. And uh, this is something I've been sharing with you every week. Right. Uh, kind of the great picture of us being united in Christ as a church. Right. In Christ, baptized into the body of Christ called the church. We're all in there. And then every Sunday we gather for a thing we call church. This is us right now. And then we're going to say amen at some point, and you're going to scatter, right? And then maybe you do a small group. Maybe you get together for coffee, and you have these little pockets. Uh, But you're out there for another six days. And then, Lord willing, Hebrews says not to forsake the gathering, so we get back together, right? We've been looking at what it means to one another, meaning how are we supposed to get along? Positionally, we all say amen that we're connected in Christ, but there are over 50 verses giving specific instructions to us, the church, about how to one another, one another, right? As a church family, how many of you as parents, in, in the deepest part of your heart, you just want your kids to get along, Right? Not expecting perfection, not expecting you know anyone to walk on water. All you want is for them to get along. Amen, right? Just, just, just. Can we just get along at home and you know? And 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 sometimes I think the Lord, the Father, looks at His church, looks at us and says, "Can they just get along?" He calls them one anothering, and and we've been looking at one anothering, and and. There's three kind of one another's that that are that are united that we've been looking at. The first one is we're to love one another. John 13:34 says a new command I give you love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another by this. Everyone will know that you are my disciples if you what love one another. Right. So loving. Then we saw acceptance in Romans. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind toward each other that Christ Jesus had. So that with one mind and one voice, we talked about unity, you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Accept one another then, just as Christ, what, accepted you in order to bring praise to God. So we're to love one another as Christ loved us. We're to accept, we're to welcome, we're to receive one another as we were accepted. And then last week we looked at forgiveness. Ephesians 4, get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Colossians 3. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and what? Forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you, And over all these virtues put on love which binds them all together in perfect unity. So we're to love one another as Christ loves us. We're to accept one another as we were accepted by Christ. And then, now we're supposed to forgive as we have been forgiven. How many of you right now are taking some deep breaths? And you're kind of like, whoa, whoa. Love self-sacrificially like Christ loved us, accept one another as we have been accepted, the diversity of this room, the diversity of the church, and now forgive as we have been forgiven. If you're at the place in, in, in just your immediate response to that and you're like, wow, impossible, way beyond me, can't do that in the flesh, then that's exactly where you need to be. That's the point. That's the whole point. Because all of these things are a supernatural work of the Spirit in us and through us. And as we love one another, Jesus says, the world will know you're my disciples. As we accept one another, as we forgive one another through the supernatural work of the Spirit... God gets the glory. Amen? People of the world will look back and go, man, there's a lot of nice social clubs. There's a lot of nice civic clubs. There's a lot of people who do a lot of friendship things together. But that, that church, they're loving, they're accepting, and they're forgiving in a way that I just don't get. That, that is beyond just the, formal, the, the, the normal level of human niceness. There's something deeper and more powerful going on. It's a work of the Spirit, right? A couple years ago, we spent a year talking about transformation from Romans 12, right? Don't be conformed, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, right? And I shared this slide with you that that word transformation is metamorphosis. And we're going to go from a caterpillar to a butterfly. That's metamorphosis. Right When you come to Christ to become more like Jesus in one sense, we look to become like a butterfly, not just to become the best caterpillar you can be. That's not the point. Not to be the best version of a caterpillar. It's actually metamorphosis, supernatural transformation. As you and I walk by faith in the power of the Spirit, supernatural things happen. And in this room right now, there are people in all levels of this. Right? There are brand new believers. You're just barely getting going. Some of you have been hunkered in a cocoon for a long time. (laughs) Some of you are breaking out into some areas. You know the crazy thing that happens in the cocoon? We shared this a couple years ago. The caterpillar, I don't know how God designed it this way. It eats itself. The caterpillar actually uses itself for nutrition and all the DNA DNA and everything is in there to become that. And I love that because sometimes in our life, we have to die to certain things. Sometimes in our life, we get challenged in an area that God knows and we know, and it's for our good. Amen? Oh, that wasn't... (laughs) I love that. It's for our good. Okay. How many of you want to be a butterfly? Like, the best... Right? I don't know now because he just he just said I have to die to something it's going to be it's going to take work it's going to take decisions it's going to take coming to the end of yourself in some areas but it's all good and and these three areas loving as Christ loved accepting as Christ accepted and now forgiving forgiving as I have been forgiven, some of you are in this cocoon shaking right now. I don't know if I'm ever going to break out of this. Those three, that's the trifecta. How do I do that? How do I move from here to there? First step, you've got to be willing. You've got to be willing. Which means this. You've got to be honest. Start by being honest with the Lord. If this loving one another is throwing you, be honest with God. If accepting is a challenge for you, be honest with God. And what we've been looking at last week, and we're going to, have to if forgiving pushes you and triggers you, first step, yeah, be honest with God. Yeah, just be honest. You got to be honest, you got to come to him and you got to say, Lord, who? that is so beyond me. Lord, I confess, I'm kind of hardened in this area. Lord, I confess, I've been stuck here, even as a believer, for decades. Lord, I confess right now, I don't know if I'm ever going to be able to do that. There's power in just confessing that to the Lord and being honest with him. There's actually freedom in that. It's okay. This thing called sanctification is a lifetime. Amen. It's a lifetime. And God, I believe, as, he already knows anyway. It's not like we're keeping anything hidden from him. He already knows. And if you develop this more intimate relationship with him of honesty and authenticity, you know what happens? And what happens in my life? I get my heart gets softened. Cuz otherwise what happens is I bottle it, and I and I and I now I'm burdened with guilt and shame an embarrassment, and what that does is it hardens me to him first and then to others in the church. And if I'm not careful, suddenly I just, hey, what's up, brother? Yeah, hey, what's up? I'm still mad at you, but hey, right? And, and we develop these very shallow relationships in the church, and we get focused on programming and going on mission trips and doing a lot of good stuff, nothing wrong with that, except for if we're doing all this stuff with a hardened heart. If we're doing all of this and we're still unwilling, we still have these areas in my life, loving one another, accepting one another, forgiving, that we're unwilling, key word, unwilling, unwilling to go there, to go there. That's a very, very scary place to be because we said in James, he says, Don't be hearers only deceiving yourselves. Do what the Word says, right? Here's the thing. If you're hearing these scriptures about loving one another, accepting one another, forgiving one another, and you're choosing not to do anything with it, the Bible says you're deceived. You're deluding yourself. That's what that means. You're deluded, and now you're hardening. Because now... What you're kind of actually telling God is, God, this area in my life is too big even for you. That's kind of what we—that's what, kind of the message we're sending. Lord, even you can't soften my heart. Even you can't get me to forgive. Even you can't get me to love. Be very careful. Be very careful. Sometimes we're so feelings-driven in the church, especially when it comes to forgiveness. Forgiveness is right to our feelings because we've been betrayed and we've been wounded and we've been hurt, right? And so right when we say, oh, you know, we're to forgive one another, the hair just went bang. Because of the feelings associated with being offended, with someone offending, hurting you, sinning against you. And so we gotta, you got to hang in there. I'm going to encourage you. You just have to hang in there. And it's going to take a while for some. Don't compare yourself to other people. Just stay here. We have to stay here with these areas. And be honest. Be open. Be transparent. Right? And just be very careful that you're not telling God what He can and can't do in your life. Because here's the thing. When he works in my life and when he works in your life supernaturally, who gets the glory? Him. That's the point. The point is when we say walking in newness of life, it's not to be a better good moral person. That's not Christianity. It's to be a good moral person. It's to walk in newness of life, a new creation that never existed before. So when God works in your loving, when God works in your accepting, when God works in your forgiving in ways that even you can't understand, He gets all the glory. And a watching world says, maybe there is something to this following Jesus. You have your mind blown and your family and friends have their mind blown. And God gets all the glory. That's the point is for God to supernaturally... Remember, this walk with Jesus is a supernatural thing. Metamorphosis and transformation is all about God getting the glory as He does things in us and through us that are unexplainable in the flesh. Unexplainable in the flesh. Which means He's going to bring me and He's going to bring you to these places where it just looks like a Goliath. And uh, just an insurmountable obstacle called loving one another, called accepting one another, called forgiving one another. And when he takes you through that, he grows you, you move that way, and he gets the glory. That's the point of this. It begins in the heart. Okay, so be willing to be open, be willing to be honest In this area of forgiveness, how many, if you're honest, how many, if you're honest, forgiveness just makes you kind of get the shivers? Right? Forgiving. Uh, My hand's up. I've been in the church for 28 years. And in my role, (laughs) it's real easy to carry grudges and to be angry and, uh, you know, and to, and to, and to, and so my hand's up too when it comes to forgiveness. Okay, let's just acknowledge it, but let's not live there. Let's see what God's word says. Let's move forward together for biblical forgiveness, for biblical forgiveness. So there's a verse that that we didn't look at last week and I want to, I want to begin the forgiveness uh, this week. With 1 Peter 4, eight, it says, Above all, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. So when we're talking about forgiveness, we need to understand, and we bring it a balance with 1 Peter 4.8, right? As we love one another self-sacrificially, there are many things that we're just going to have to overlook. It's called imperfections, Right? Because the church is made up of who? Who? Us, right? And us are imperfect, amen? Right? So turn to the person next to you and say, I'm sorry in advance. Because you're going to do something at some point as an imperfect follower of Jesus that's going to step on somebody's toes around here. Intentionally or unintentionally? I don't know. That's the nature of the church, right? The rock tumbler. So there's going to be times, many times when love covers a multitude of sins. When we're talking about biblical forgiveness, I want to kind of move us a little bit and to understand that there are times when there is a sin issue between one another. We're talking specifically last week and this week, sin and forgiving one another in the church. Very important. We've got to remember this is the context of the church. There are going to be times when there's a sin issue that results in a broken fellowship and an unreconciled relationship. That's kind of where we're we're focusing on, not the the little day-to-day irritations, right? John MacArthur says, It is the nature of true spiritual love, whether from God to man or Christian to Christian, to cover sins. This teaching does not preclude the discipline of a sinning, unrepentant church member. It means specifically that a Christian should overlook sins Against him, if possible, and always be ready to forgive insults and unkindnesses. Another one. Love works as a shock absorber, cushioning and smoothing out the bumps and irritations caused by fellow believers. <laughs> love that, right? Love. So we've got to give each other cut some slack in the context of biblical love. In the context of biblical love. So there are going to be times when something significant happens, sin. And Matthew 18 deals with it. It's called church discipline. He actually walks you through where you are to confront. We don't cover sin. We don't condone sin. In fact, we confront it lovingly with the word, hoping to bring someone to repentance. That's that that is a issue. The big sins. The other stuff, we just got to learn to. You just got to learn to extend grace and love to your fellow imperfect believer. Amen. Turn to the person next and say, I love you, man. (laughs) I love you, man, right? Okay, woo! Feels good. Feels good not to have it all together, amen? It's like, oh, man, that's all right. I like that. So as we move into these areas where there is broken fellowship, where there is reconciliation that needs to be addressed, where there is sin that needs to be confronted, We've got to understand the importance of it, right? I shared this last week. Forgiveness is the oil that keeps the machinery of the Christian home and church running smoothly. In a world where even those who have been declared perfect in Christ's sin, there's much to forgive. Christians who must work together closely find themselves denting each other's fenders, now and then taking out a taillight or two, and at times even having head-on collisions. Under such conditions, forgiveness is what keeps things from breaking down Completely. We got it. We got to understand. It's important. We just don't. We do don't like. Oh, just no. Either we're putting it under the well. Love covers a multitude of sin, or we're addressing it. Okay, that, that's what keeps the diversity in this room, glorifying to God. It keeps the main things, the main things right. So as we move forward, we saw turn to uh, Matthew 18. Turn to Matthew 18. And we were looking at uh, Jesus speaking to Peter, and then Jesus telling a parable. And this is where we're, gonna, we're going to uh, continue. As you're turning there, we saw last week that the word forgive in the Bible is actually rooted in grace. In grace, okay? So if you're wondering, what does it mean to forgive biblically? It means literally to give freely and unconditionally or to bestow as a gift of grace. So forgiveness, biblically, is defined as grace. And I said one little, one little reminder, forgive, just think of the last four letters, give, give, right? We also saw last week that forgiveness, biblically, is a promise. Very important. It's a promise. Something is happening. Biblical forgiveness, we saw last week is not, is not, is not, I'm sorry, that's okay. That is not in the Bible. Apologizing is not in the Bible. God's standard is biblical forgiveness. Biblical forgiveness. If I say to Scott, let's say we have an issue, and I offend you, Scott, I do something, break your guitar or something. Intentionally, and I say, "Hey, man, I'm sorry," and he says, "He says it's okay." He says it's not okay, but he, he says he says it's okay, right? So, hey, man, I'm sorry. It's okay. That's not biblical, meaning it's not in the Bible. Because think about that: when I say I'm sorry, what does that mean? I'm sorry you found out it was me. I'm sorry, I hurt your feelings. What does that mean? Think about it. What what does that mean when you say I'm sorry? What are you sorry for, right? And if he says it's okay, what does that mean? Okay. It's okay. The the point of this, why why we have to really think about this, is that when I say I'm sorry and he says It's it's still not reconciled. It's still not, there's not, a, there's not a reconciliation because we don't even know what we just said to each other. We don't even know what that means. It's like, uh, okay, want to go have some coffee? And then we just kind of move on and we pretend it never happened. We're working through the biblical standard of forgiveness. And there's a, there's a transaction that happens. We saw last week that God, the Bible says that God remembers our sin, what? No more. No more. When God forgives us, biblical forgiveness is rooted in God's forgiveness, right? Just as God forgave. So, biblical forgiveness is rooted in a promise. When God says he remembers our sin no more, he's not forgetting it. Forgiven, forget is not either. That's not what God does. He's not like, oh my gosh, <laughs> Mark, I forgot. You got a load of them, don't you? You know, he, didn't, he doesn't forget. When he says he remembers our sin no more, he's making a promise. To never bring it up. To never bring it up to you or to anyone else. Isn't that incredible? If you have experienced God's forgiveness through faith in Jesus, you have received a promise for him. When he says, Mike, you're forgiven. I promise I'm never going to bring it up to you again. Or anyone else. It's a promise. I'm never going to bring it up. I'm never going to throw it in your face. We are now reconciled. A lot deeper than, I'm sorry, that's okay. See, if you go to God and you say, Lord, I'm sorry, He doesn't say, that's okay. He says, You are forgiven. In fact, what I should say to Scott if I intentionally sin against him, I say, Scott, will you forgive me? Yes, I will. And He says, Yes, I forgive you. That's powerful. Because when I come to him and I say, will you forgive me? I'm coming. That's a reflection of confession and repentance. That's me. When I say, will you forgive me? I am owning my actions that have been hurtful and offensive to him. I'm owning it. And I'm coming to you with confession and repentance, meaning I own it and I'm going to do my best never to do it again. Do you hear the part of the transaction that's happening? When he says, yes, I, I, forgive, you. Yes, I forgive you. What is his part of the deal? I'm never going to bring it up to me, to my friends, on Facebook, social media. This is between me and you. I'm never bringing it up again. It's resolved. We are now what? Reconciled. And what has happened to our relationship? Deepened. It's been healed and it's been deepened. See, biblical forgiveness isn't just an admission and a, and a transaction. The next step is deeper reconciliation deeper reconciliation. If I develop, if I have this relationship with my brother and we get to the place where if we sin against each other, I'm like, oh, dude, I'm, uh, I, will you forgive me? And, and we start extending grace and forgiveness back and forth. Our relationship is deepening. We're no longer just brushing things under the rug. We're no longer just like uh, pretending it never happened. I shared last week, that's what I used to do in my family. I had three other siblings. We'd have our blowouts. About an hour or two later, we mosey back to the family room and start watching TV together. And you always wonder who's going to break the ice. And someone breaks the ice. And you just start getting on again like it never happened. Except that everyone still remembers it. <laughs> and then if things get really bad, a month later, they throw it back in your face. Will you remember when? You remember when? See, the beautiful thing about biblical forgiveness in the church This is crazy. Think about this. So Scott and I have a relationship. For whatever reason, I'm the one that keeps sinning against him. He's like perfect, right? So (laughs) if I have to come to him again and ask for forgiveness, think about this. If he has made, each time he's made the promise, it's done, I never bring it up, never bring it up. Every time he extends forgiveness to me, it's the first time. Because all the other times, are done. It's always the first time. It's not the, oh man, this is the fifth time that I've had, no, it's the first time because I'm asking you for forgiveness right now. All the other times you remember no more. They're done. That's why we're free from the past. That's where we can work through stuff. You might sin against me. We work through it. I do it again, I do it to you. It's never we don't have histories, it's always the first. Let's just deal with the present tense right now. Let's just deal with this. Let's stay present. We're not this is Mark, this is the tenth time. No, this is the first time because all the other ones are done. If I gave, if I forgave you, I don't remember them no more. I'm not keeping score. There's no score keeping. There's no score keeping. That's freedom. That is so freeing. Right? The word apology, we talked about it, right? Oh, just apologize. Do you know the word apology comes from apologetics? You know what apologetics is? A defense. For those of you in Christendom, you know apologetics, you're defending the faith. So really, to apologize is kind of defined as defense, excuse, regretful acknowledgement. So just apologize. I apologize. Right? Right? Again, you've got to be real careful with your words. Be Real careful with the words. We, as, as a church, we're called to forgive one another, not to apologize, not to say, I'm sorry, it's okay. We're called to biblically forgive. As who? As God forgave us. And what is God's model? I remember it no more. I remember it no more. That is a beautiful place for a church to be. Now, how many of you are like, crazy? Crazy, because some of us have file cabinets. Oh, uh, let's see. Dave Walker. Woo, Dave! All the stuff. Right? We got... <laughs> Susan. Oh, Susan, look at your File, right? We keep these catalogs in our head. Everyone's like, ooh, how did he know? We keep catalogs. We got files. We pull it. I mean... So, yeah. It's going to take a supernatural work of the Spirit. It really will guys, and that's confession and that's honesty, right? Matthew 18:21, Peter comes to Jesus, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me up to seven times? Jesus answered, "I tell you not seven times, but seventy seven times." The other translation says seven times seventy, right What's the point here? Peter wants to keep score. Peter wants to keep score. Jesus says, "You know what? Seven times 70. No. Nope. In the kingdom, we don't keep score. It's the new world. We don't keep score in the kingdom. Whole different standard. Kingdom principle. Kingdom standard is no scorekeeping, No counting. That's what Jesus means, right? Then he tells this story. I tell you not seven times, but 77 times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. The servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. We stopped there last time, right? Servant comes, king wants to settle accounts. Servant has this huge debt. 10000 means insurmountable. It's not just in figure. It means figuratively insurmountable. And he's about to suffer some serious consequences. He recognizes his inability to pay. He throws himself on the mercy of the king. The king says, it's all forgiven. Right? And we talked about last Sunday we ended with, do we really recognize the hugeness of our debt that was canceled at the cross? That's the starting point of biblical forgiveness, okay? However you struggle with the idea of forgiving so-and-so right now, you've got to come all the way back to the cross and you've got to say, Lord, oh, my debt compared to this offense. My debt, what you have forgiven me through Jesus on the cross versus the offense that I'm experiencing. Not to minimize. I'm not saying what you have your betrayal and your hurt is not real. I have them too. But what we are saying is we have to be very careful because we tend to maximize the horizontal and minimize the vertical. That's honestly what we do. We tend to maximize how wounded we are and we tend to minimize how wounded he was for us. We've got to keep that in perspective. We really have to keep that in perspective if we're going to have the right heart of biblical forgiveness. And here's the thing. Biblical forgiveness is more of a posture, more of an attitude of willingness. When you understand the debt that was canceled for you, you're the servant, I'm the servant in the first half of this, what God calls us to do is have an attitude, a posture of willingness to forgive. Willingness to forgive in the way he did. That's the starting point. Are you even willing this morning? Are you even willing to begin to let God develop in you a posture, an attitude, a heart condition that says, I'm willing. Just as you forgave me, I'm at least willing. That's a starting point for many. Just willing. Right? Just willing. And then we're going to continue this right now. We'll finish this. Verse 28. So the servant's debt completely cancelled. Woohoo moment, right? Verse twenty eight. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. That's like a day's wages. So statistically they said, Okay, this guy was forgiven about ten million dollars. This guy a few thousand owed him. So he just got forgiven about ten million dollars. White clean, that fast. He goes and he finds someone who owes him a few grand. This is what he does. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, Be patient with me, and I will pay you back. Where have we heard that before? The exact same words he told the king. He's hearing it from somebody else who has an insurmountable debt in his mind. A few thousand to this other guy is insurmountable. So he's throwing himself on this servant's mercy, on the mercy of this servant, just like this guy had just done. Look what he does. Verse 30. But he refused. Instead he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed and went and told their master everything that had happened wow, he just has $10 million canceled. That fast, because the king said so. Very shortly after, he runs into his buddy. Hey, man, you owe me like two grand. I want it now. His buddy cries out for mercy. He says, no, you have done. Verse 32, then the master called the servant in, you wicked servant, he said, I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master turned him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from your heart, right? A few things as we prepare for communion. Verse 31, when the other servants saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed and went and told their master everything that had happened. So here's the thing. Oftentimes when it comes to forgiving people, I don't know about you, but in my life, I fixate, I fixate on the offense and how I felt about it. I fixate there. And all I see is the offender and the offended and how I feel about it. What's interesting in verse 30, look at verse 31, when the other servants saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed. If there's unforgiveness in the church, it impacts the church. It's not just between you and that other person, people know, people feel it. There's a distress, there's a strain, there's a brokenness. There's, there's, there's discord. There's tension in the family of God. It's not just between me and you and how I feel about it. Others are being impacted by my words and actions. We have to remember it's not just between me and you and my hard-heartedness because you and you and you. If I'm like this, him over there, he, whoa! You don't think that has an impact? On everyone watching, my attitude and my actions towards this brother. And then we show up on a Sunday. Hey, brother, how are you? You doing good? Good, good, good. 28 years in the church. We get really good in the church. How many of you have a closet in your house when the visitors come by? quick. Quick. Anyone that's kind of like church quick <laughs> It's not just about us, it affects the church. Look at what it and that's a powerful word. They were greatly distressed. It affects the church it affects others right and then. The master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said, I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant? What? Just as I had on you. So, here's the thing. I fixate on the offender. I fix a, uh, on your offense to me. I'm ticked. I'm feeling anger. Oh, but it's not about me? Oh, there's a whole other room here. Sorry. And it's not even just about the church. This is between you and me. It's really first and foremost about me and God. And it's like Abba Father saying, come here. Come here. Let's chat. And if I'm willing, he'll chastise and discipline me because he loves me. And i will say, hey, Richie, I know you are torqued at Bill. And rightly so. What he did was sinful. What he did was wrong. There was no justification for it. But this isn't between you and him, is it, Richie? It's between me and us <laughs> let's, let's talk first this way. And then let's talk about how it's affecting the rest of the church, Richie. And then you just have that moment where you're like, you got me. And honestly, if I share my story with you and my walk with Jesus, filled with you got me moments from God. Especially in the church when I've been wounded and ang- angry and justified. And da, 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 da. But God, but God, but God, but God, but God, but God. It's like, it's like I'm telling him something he doesn't know. But God, but God, but God. And then he'll give me a zinger. Richie, come back this way. And then, Richie, think about how this is impacting the church. And that's been a very helpful thing for me in this area of forgiveness, to put it in a a different perspective than just how I have been hurt and wounded and how so-and-so really needs to apologize and make it right with me. When all along, I'm not even ready in my heart of hearts to even extend biblical forgiveness should he even come to his senses. See, Biblical forgiveness is this way. The king calls out this guy based on what the king had done for this guy. That's where we have to start when it comes to biblical forgiveness is back to the cross. Just go back to the cross. That's what we call this gospel amnesia. He had $10 million debt forgiven and in a matter of moments he had gospel amnesia. (laughs) He forgot what the king had done and now he's out there ranting and raving and throwing people in jail with a hardened heart. Now, to his credit, he's in sanctification. Eileen, can you put up the uh, butterfly? Remember, the context of the story is the church. Jesus is correcting Peter about how we're to one another, one another. This is the church. So to give this guy some grace, he just maybe got saved (laughs) and was just the old person coming back out. Amen? How many of you have had the old person come out? Especially in the area of forgiveness. It's just the old man. So let's give this guy some grace. He reacted in the flesh like he had been used to, which was normal in the culture. The normal culture, actually, it was in culture. You could grab someone by the throat and bring them to the court. (laughs) That was legit. You could do that. That's how he was raised. This is just kind of a story of someone in sanctification who had received the king's forgiveness and was supposed to do the same. Didn't have a clue. Just reacted in the flesh and did what he always had done and what was the norm. So maybe for some of us, we just have to Spend some time and say, Lord, am I still bound by my flesh and how I react to stuff? And then if you are, you say, How do I get free? That's how you get free. That's how you get free. Just come back to God's grace for you and the debt that was cancelled for you. I love first Timothy the Paul. Paul the Apostle, great example. Look what he says in 1 Timothy 1.12. I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has given me strength that He considered me trustworthy, appointing me to His service. Even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. I love that. Even the Apostle Paul had to remember where he came from, Amen. This is the Apostle Paul. He had to remind himself of the grace and love he had received on the front end. This is the apostle Paul, right? The servant and his interaction with the king it's pretty pretty weighty. It's pretty weighty, right? and there are consequences even for us being unwilling to forgive. There are consequences, right? Warren Worsby says this, the world's worst prison is the prison of an unforgiving heart. If we refuse to forgive others, then we are imprisoning ourselves and causing our own torment. Some of the most miserable people I have met in my ministry have been people who would not forgive others. They lived only to imagine ways to punish these people who had wronged them but they were really only punishing themselves. See, there were consequences. The king, there were consequences. There's consequences to our unwillingness to forgive. Doesn't mean it's easy, but it just means that we have to understand there's consequences because it's not just between me and this guy. It affects the church and ultimately it affects my walk with God this way. So we've got to come back. And that's my heart for us this morning. The starting point, the starting point for us individually and then as a church, guys, biblical forgiveness begins this way. You just got to stay here. Receiving, receiving, receiving constantly the grace and love that was extended to us. Acknowledging the insurmountable debt that God canceled like that when you put your faith in Jesus. Amen? Never forget that never forget that what you and I owed was insurmountable. We threw ourselves on the grace and mercy of Jesus as Lord and Savior. And the King of kings, the Lord of lords, said, Forgive it. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, thank you. Thank you for your grace and your love We are the servant in the story. We're a servant in the first half that had insurmountable debts. Through ourselves on your mercy and you had pity on us through faith in Jesus, you have forgiven and reconciled us to you. We are that servant in the first half. And then, Lord, quite frankly, we're the servant in the second half. You command us to forgive one another as you have forgiven us. And yet, even as I read the second half of that parable, I'm all over that servant in so many areas because oftentimes the issue of forgiveness is filled with great feelings of pain and hurt and anger and injustice. And so, Father, we come to you acknowledging that in the flesh it is impossible. Impossible. We need you to just give us a willing heart. We need you to remind us lovingly, powerfully of your love and grace for us on the front end. So, Lord, we uh, prepare for communion just in maybe a moment of quietness. To be honest, to be transparent, to confess. To agree with you that maybe our heart isn't right when it comes to biblical forgiveness. It's much more than apologizing. It's much more than saying, I'm sorry, it's okay. In your kingdom, we don't keep score. And that's a mind blower. In your kingdom, you call us to have hearts that are ready and willing to forgive 24-7, 365. And that's a mind-blower. So we need you. We ask your forgiveness if our hearts are hardened towards people in the church. We ask your forgiveness if we're like the servant, demanding justice, demanding payment of a few grand, when you've forgiven us millions. Forgive us, Father. And as we take communion this morning, we come forward, perhaps with a different view of communion. The cup and the bread, tangible symbols that our debt was paid in full when Jesus says, it is finished. The debt has been paid in full when he said, It is finished. So we come forward in remembrance of what you did, Jesus, in paying our debt in full. And we come forward also humbled, God, that we really need the supernatural work of the Spirit to forgive one another as you forgave us. So we open up the communion tables now. And if you'd like to come forward for communion, we invite you to. And if you haven't put your faith in Christ, put your faith in Christ. Trust him that pay the debt that you could never pay. And then join us for communion as well. So come on up and then we'll take communion together once everyone's been served. Word of encouragement. As you work through this biblical forgiveness, hang in there. Okay? Amen? Hang in there. We're supposed to support and love encourage one another. That's why the person sitting next to you is sitting next to you. Here's the joy, I just want to share a little bit. As you work through this, and as you're honest and as you make progress in no longer keeping score, and as you make progress in having a heart that's willing to forgive, here's the great thing: you will experience freedom. You will experience freedom. and you will be willing to extend grace, forgiveness regularly. and here's the great I don't know how he does it. you're free. In how you live, I'm not talking. You just live in more freedom because you're no longer keeping score. You're no longer filtering everything through how it makes me feel. You recognize there's a bigger picture called the church, and the biggest picture is that I want to please my Father. I just want to be like my Father. Amen. So let's stand and let's sing this song in 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 response in joy to the debt that's been forgiven.